where is the king? The hermit turned and pointed with his staff. Look, he said, there's another gate right opposite to the one you entered by. Open it and go straight ahead, always straight ahead, over level or steep, over smooth or rough, over dry or wet. I know by my art that you will find King Loon straight ahead, but run, run, always run. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we're doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the entire Narnia series as a whole, and a heads up that we're going to talk about other things as we see fit. We'll try to do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too egregious. But today, we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 10, The Hermit of the Southern March with a C, not a marsh. There are no marshes. There's no marshes in Orchard Land, Cal. It's too beautiful of a country. That's true. But where's the Northern March or the Western March? I mean, you can really only march north or south in this book, but... That's fair. Chase. I'll give us a summary, Cal. I'd love to hear one. So our gang keeps riding for several hours past where they had stopped to rest previously. And the river they are following joins another river in a beautiful countryside of rolling hills building towards the northern mountains they'd been riding towards. The Wooded Valley was uh, the pass from Archenland into Narnia, and it was the most green either Shasta or Erebus had ever seen. They found a shallow place to cross the rushing river, and Bree exclaimed that they were officially in Archenland, while Quinn murmured that she hoped they were there in time. As they look over the country, they see a dark cloud that looks like smoke. Or no, is, is that a sandstorm? They realize it is the marching army of Rabidash, close behind them. Quinn exclaims this is what she was afraid of, and they turn and begin galloping north. They ride hard, watching the army advance behind them. Then all of a sudden, they hear another terrifying noise, lions. The cat gained on them as they raced towards a tall green hedge with an open gate and a man standing in it. Jossa saw the lion getting closer and closer to Huynh and making snaps at her legs. And Jossa yelled to Bree, they have to stop and help her. But Bree kept going, so Jossa slipped out of his saddle and jumped. It hurt really bad, but he staggered towards Erebus, and Huynh let out a horse's scream as Erebus was drawing her sword. The lion rose on its hind legs and jabbed Erebus with its right paw. Then Shasta ran up to it with nothing but stood his ground and yelled, Go home! Go home! And then the lion stopped, turned over itself, and rushed away. They all stumbled to the gate where the robed old man is saying, Come in, my daughter. Come in, my son. They all got inside, and the man said he's the hermit of the Southern March. He told Shasta their horses are spent, the girl is wounded, and Rabidash is finding a ford over the river at that very moment. But if Shasta runs now, without a moment's rest, he'll be there in time to warn King Loon. So Shasta's insides turn over at how unfair it seems, but all he says is, where's King Loon? Old man says, go straight through the opposite gate and run straight and keep running and keep running no matter what he comes upon. And there he will get to King Loon. Shasta did as he was told and disappeared beyond the gate. Then the hermit turns and calls the horse's cousins and removes her saddles and brushes them down. It's super nice. And then Huynh asks if Erebus will be okay. The hermit says he doesn't know the future, but yeah, she's going to be fine. When Erebus awoke, she found herself in a comfortable bed lying face down. And when she tried to turn and move, though, pain shot through her back and her, uh, she remembered what happened. The hermit entered the room and said she had no fever, so she was going to be fine. Her wounds were bound and it's all going to be okay. He gave her some goat's milk, which apparently doesn't taste very good your first time. And he told her she should rest and heal. The lion only gave her 10 claw marks on her back, no deeper than if she'd been struck by a whip. Da, da, da. 
Erevis exclaimed how lucky she was, and the hermit creepily said that he doesn't believe in luck, but we'll find out more about that later. He also confirms that Shasta should reach King Loon in time. Erevis goes out to greet the horses, and she and Huynh find Bree in a super sad, sour mood, saying he doesn't deserve to be free and should go back to slavery because he was trying to save his own skin instead of going back to help them not be eaten by lions. Erevis says she also feels bad for looking down on Shasta this whole time when he turned out to be so brave. Bree says it's fine for her because she didn't disgrace herself like he did. The hermit comes up and says, Bree has lost nothing but his own self-conceit. And if he really is as humbled as he was saying, then he should listen. He viewed himself highly among the horses of Calorman because he was smarter. But now that he sees he's no ver- he is nobody very special, he can actually begin to be a very decent horse. And then they all eat some mash. We've made our way out of the desert, through the beautiful little oasis. We've traversed the valley, and wouldn't you know it, Chase, Rain now we are. We're, we're finally out of the valley, and it's beautiful. It's delightful. Uh, there's some mountains behind there. Oh, man, thank goodness we're out of that crap hole that's Callerman. Uh, oh, wait, no, now we're just, we're in Archon Land now, so this is, this is all good. Thank the Lord. We're, we finally made it. It, uh, yeah. Who, who, what is a desert? What is a Callerman? This is Archon Land now, which apparently is this big land in between Narnia and Callerman that we also didn't really know existed outside of just brief moments earlier in the series. And, and now, will it come into play? In no. geopolitics and and the actual geography the, of Narnia. The so I've like looked it up and everything like on the map. It's just really funny because like knowing the rest of the books, because after this book, it's going back to the Pevensey children, slash their cousin, and slash their cousin's friend. Uh, and like they continually go back to Narnia. They deal with the events of Narnia. Like Archenland, it's it just seems kind of randomly thrown in here. Uh, yeah, why it's so important. This this book is really unique in the series. It kind of sets up the last battle in some ways, in the sense yeah. that it tells us that there are other lands and other gods that are worshipped in the Narnia verse. And then it also like this one and uh, the Silver Chair are the mm-hmm. only two that are kind of. Well, I guess Voyage of the Non-Treader spreads out a little bit too, but it's not on Into land, the ocean. so it doesn't feel the same. Um, it's a different kind of myth, but yeah, yeah it's this is definitely the most world-building, and it's just it's very unique in the series because you never really get any acknowledgement that there are other people doing anything important mm-hmm. outside of the Narnian like land the narnian people or like the creatures that they deal with there yeah it's just interesting but brew to the north we are here the green north says brie uh love Bree's exclamation brie goes on like he's kind of like real real hot and cold in this chapter um like he's gonna get real excited uh you know here in a second he's gonna be like friends we are in archon land i think the river we just crossed is the winding air like he's real pumped and then he's going to get real, like, angsty and, like, depressed by the end of this chapter. Yeah, this this chapter is a whole downward spiral for him. It's great. It's real good for him, hopefully. Sure. Yeah, it's solid. Uh, but, so, the, you know, our crew, they find this giant river. But, thank goodness, there's uh, a spot that's, you know, shallow enough for them to cross. Uh, and, apparently, not for the giant army it's following them to cross. Yeah, which I mean, that does come up later. It takes the army a very long time to cross this river because we're told in this chapter and I believe like at the end of this chapter, like both beginning and end, that they are just now crossing the way or, yeah, it's... This, it makes sense. And also... It makes sense. It takes a long time for an army to cross a river, but also... It's only, it's only 200 people. This isn't like the Israelites leaving Egypt where there's like 2 million. Yeah. I mean, there's no, which that brings up a fair point. Is this the crossing of the Jordan? 
I mean, I guess more or less, like this is, is that the, what C.S. Lewis is trying to do here? Into I mean, the promised land, a desert, and now they're crossing into the land flowing with abundance. Yeah, uh, so much abundance that there are trees, Chase, trees that uh, they've never known before. It's like going from Lubbock to the hill country. It's beautiful. Uh, there's there's trees abounding, uh, and as uh, yes, for some reason, there's just rabbits everywhere. Rabbits everywhere. I I love this. Like this is another one of those CS mo- like moments where he lets us know um, that like he he's a he's a real you know wildlife you know favored guy and like really knows his stuff. Uh, and I think he just likes you know let people know uh, because you're talking about all these trees and it's beautiful. It's more trees than Shasta has ever seen in his life. And then he goes, if you had been there, you would have probably known he didn't that he was seeing oaks, beaches, silver birches, rowans, and sweet chestnuts. Chase, I could identify an oak and maybe a pine tree, uh, like a palm, but like, I'm not, I don't know what a, like a beech tree or like a rowan tree looks like. Uh, you uncultured, untraveled swine, Cal. Maybe, uh, but these know. are also kids he's talking to. Like, do you know a kid who could be like, hmm, yes. That's a rowan tree, for sure. I knew those kids, but uh, we didn't talk to them. Were those the kids that always climbed trees? Uh, no, they were busy playing Magic the Gathering. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, that's a you know that's a thing. So uh, they it's make their way. Been th- it always will be. It, it for sure. So they uh, they make their way through all these beautiful trees, and Ervis and Shasta are like stunned because this is crazy. They've never seen anything. Uh, I do like, I think this is, we've given C.S. Lewis a lot of crap on like the amount of description and detail he like tends to go on, like very Tolkien-esque like description of like nature. I feel like this was an appropriate amount of description at the beginning of this chapter. It was, it was a well-written chapter. It felt paced really well. Like, yeah, he makes sure that you know the contrast between where they were coming from and where they're going to like absolutely that's been the whole thing for the whole book right you are leaving the barren wasteland the time of slavery the the lie that this is the real good place when you actually Mm -hmm. get to the other side and realize no nicole byer runs the good place she's the uh she's the male woman oh well good one uh but yeah it's it's really sweet. I mean, he goes on. He gives some good descriptions of the rivers and the mountains, uh, but it's not like the whole chapter. Like that's what we saw with you know Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, where it's like he's dedicating several chapters to walking through the snow. And this is like, hey, we're moving through. Here's a really pretty description, uh, and then he's moving forward. He's progressing. Right. It's all with the point of moving the plot. Um, and you know he goes. Like Shasta looks back and says, there was no sign of Tashbay in the desert, unbroken except by the narrow green crack down which they had traveled down, spread to the horizon. Like, oh, cool. The desert is behind them. They can't see Tashbay anymore. That was a big thing in the past couple chapters was that like Tashbay was always still in view. Um, And it's, it's moving things forward. And immediately after that, boom. What's that? Chase, is that a bird? Is it a, is it a plane? Is it Superman? No, no, it's no. It's Rabidash. It's Rabidash, the not Pokemon. Rabidash, um, I choose you. They uh, so they they're like, is that a fire? Is that a sandstorm? Uh, they're like, oh no, it's helmets and armor, and they're moving this way. How like how in the world could they see the helmets and armor? Flamethrower or sandstorm? Uh, but yeah, it's it is. This is an issue that I do have with this chapter and the next one. How close are they to this army where they can see their helmets and make them out clearly and hear their words, but also not be seen and be far enough ahead to not get caught or even acknowledged by the other army? Correct. Happens multiple times. I also have a question here, Chase, because this is one of those things where I feel feel like C.S. Lewis kind of like paints himself into a corner a little bit by trying to be too clever. like. They took this shortcut, or this, not the shortcut, the better path, sorry. They took this better path through the desert because it led through this, like, this valley, this oasis. They didn't have to just traverse the desert the whole time. 
supposedly like Rabidash's army did, right? Like they they supposedly had to go through the entire desert just themselves, but the you know our 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 crew got to traverse through this beautiful lush area, but somehow they're like in the same spot. It yeah, it's really unclear how these paths work. Cause I would have pictured it like if you're looking at the map, Shasta and his gang are going up the left side around some mountains, and Rabidash and his gang are going up the right side around some mountains. And so they should come from different sides of the castle. It yeah. It's a convenient plot point that they come together. Um, yeah. At least it gives a little bit of tension, sure. except it, not even the tension that actually works to get them where they need to go. Yeah, it's uh, as we'll see, the uh, you know the army bearing down upon them uh, that could you know kill them and at best send them back into slavery uh, is like they're making their way to them and they're like, oh, we need to run. And they start going and they're terrified. They don't know how long it is. And they keep going over these hills and still don't know how far it is. Uh, but apparently this army marching upon them is not enough to motivate them to keep going. Um, you know, Erevis yeah. is like, you know, they're, they're slowing down and um, they're, you know, they're, like losing energy and Erevis is like, we might as well not have come at all if we don't reach Anvard in time. Uh, like one, like they're going to be fine as long as they don't get spotted, like from a selfish point of view. Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, they weren't coming here in the first place to be Rabidash. That's a side mission. Their main mission, side mission just to not be enslaved or not be forced into marriage. Correct. All that fun stuff. Like it's like, I mean, they still, there's still things to be gained by going to Narnia, but you know, they're valiant. So they want to, you know, warn King Loon and them. Uh, but she's like, yeah, remember you're a war horse. Um, and like Shasta feels bad for Bree. He's like, poor chap's doing already all he already can. And so they keep, you know, they're running and they're getting exhausted. And Chase, would you know it? As soon as it looks like Quinn and Bree, uh, you know, couldn't go any further. Uh, what's that? More motivation. <laughs> Roar! It's a lion. Yeah. How shocking. Because what else would get you that last mile like a lion? It wouldn't be the marching army that would also kill you. Nope. Yeah. You always need more motivation. I like to have at least two things that could kill me behind me. Uh, that really gets me. Because one thing that could kill me, you know, maybe... Maybe I can like avoid that. Maybe I can get over it. But two things, that's that's more than one. Which for the listener, just mild spoiler alert for the very next chapter in this exact same book. The so we find out next chapter that this lion was sent to give them some motivation for their very last mile. Like, just straight up. Like, that is the reason this lion appears here is to make sure they run faster so they get to King Loon in time so that it's so that it works out. In it, what we're having a trouble, what we're having time problem with words is that you shouldn't need more motivation when you can see the army behind you. Like if you're in a haunted house and you're running down a hallway because there's a scary clown behind you and you're running as fast as you can, it doesn't make you run faster if you also add a zombie behind you in addition to the scary wow. clown. This is weird. And it's also like you alluded to this, uh, you know, spoiler alert for the next chapter as well. Like, this lion, and we've talked about this before with the previous lions, like, this is Aslan. And so we are super confused. Like, we, we have a lot to say. We'll get into this more next chapter. Kel, I believe his, it's pronounced Catslan. Catslan. My apologies. Yes, Catslan. He will be known uh, for the rest of the books in this series. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, we'll talk about this more. But it's just, it's real confusing stuff. But... 
in the midst of their their escape from the lion and the army now uh, wouldn't you believe it chase uh shasta looks forward and how did he miss it a giant green wall uh with a gate in the middle that's open and a tall man with a huge beard is just chilling in there how did he miss this crazy how could they not have known this is where they were really trying to get to all along. So, yeah, like, how is, convenient. You know, it, it is what it is, but... It is nice they, that the old man does not acknowledge the lion in any way, shape, or form at all. Throughout any point in this chapter. Any other, interaction, the lion they, might as well not... It wasn't actually that lucky that you only got scratched 10 times, Erebus. <laughs> so, on that point, Chase, so here we go. So, before we can get to the garden and the gate and everything like this. So uh, when, um, you know, she's losing energy, she's not uh, built for this, right? She's never done anything like this. She's slowing down and the lion is kind of like snapping at her legs a little bit. Um, and Shasta is like, stop, we must go back. He's riding on Bree. Um, and we'll, I think this will be another point we talk about later because it says Bree always said afterward that he never heard or never, never heard nor ever, or uh, didn't understand what was happening. Uh, and so he just keeps running forward and Shasta just jumps off the horse and yeah. goes back to win. This and full tuck and roll is not it, which tall war horse, young boy, yeah. I mean, 13. early teenager. Yeah. Could easily break leg, could easily sure. break arm, could easily crack rib. Not a, not recommended to jump off horse, young no. masters. Um, yeah, he just fully tucks and rolls and runs towards this lion, and which the lion's doing some interesting things in this moment that we can talk about in a moment. But Shasta's plan, yeah, after jumping off this horse, yep, no weapon, not nope. a stone or a stick in nope. his hand. Not a one. CL, go home. Go home. Like See, we're I was curious. The Hendersons yelling at a woodland ape. I was curious. Can't you see we don't want you anymore? I was curious what he was going to do. Like I was like, is he going to try to tackle Catslam? Like, is he going to is he going to punch him or kick him? Like, how's this going to work out? And also, like, he's got to duck and roll and still stay running because, like. Quinn is also still running, so he can't just stop. And so he, like, he, you know, he, he starts doing this duck and roll. But then, before he yells, go home, literally, that's his plan, Catsland jumps up and with both paws scratches shot, or, uh, Erevis down, like, the middle of her back. Is it with both paws? She's got ten. So I guess I, I think, and the reason I say this swipes. is because I have noted the lion rose on its hind legs and jabbed Aragus with its right paw. Ah, and yeah, you're that right. Makes me wonder if it literally like, yeah, 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 like just like did, uh, two jabs, or depending on how many how many fingers lions have, three jabs, and. Well, do, do they not have? Do they only have three front claws? I feel like it's four, but I also don't have a cat, so there's no way of knowing. Um, it's it. So they have four, and the little fifth nub thing. Yeah, the little animal thumb that's not a thumb. Yeah, that's so. I guess so. My my thought is, it, I I think he probably does two jabs then with his right paw. And gets the little nub thumb to also do some scratching here. I mean, because uh, the magic are... lion who can teleport, so it's yeah. it's so probably it's, fine. It's whatever. So he, all that to say, he managed to is... place them just as deep as a whip. Yes, which is a weird detail that we're going to get later. But there's yeah. exactly ten just as de deep as a whip. Weird detail. I wonder if that's going to come up later. Who knows. That's a story for another time, but probably not, honestly. So, Lion Catslan scratches Erebus in the back, and our brave hero, uh, slightly idiotic, goes, "Go home," and it works. 
it the lion leaves. I, just, I like how the lion so the lion in this moment, of course, sit, on sitting on its hind legs because it's gotta do a good little boxer jab at Erevis. Sure. It the book said it turned head over heel like it bit, I, I picture it kind of did a little backflip and then just kind of ran away. away. Which I mean, I have a, a puppy who does this very motion every time he falls backwards. It's a thing. Sure. I can picture the animal doing this, but I have to imagine that the only reason Aslan did this is to keep himself from laughing out loud and making fun of Shasta. He he wants Shasta to have his moment of bravery. We don't yeah. we? Yeah, we don't want to shame him in the middle of his best moment. And, and his best moment still needs a lot of work, but you know, good for oh, him. Yeah. Um, but it works surprisingly, uh, and. Shasta and the crew, uh, they make their way through the gate and this random strange old man that they didn't know was going to be there says, come in, my daughter, come in, my son. And like, why this like, yes, this is another human. The dude also did not help at all when you were being attacked by a lion. He gave you no like advice, didn't say run, hurry, like. Didn't yeah, help at all. Kind of sat back and watched. Um, it, it's got real priest prophet vibes. Sure. This is real like uh, my daughter, my son, and the healing and the the service part gives me like ah, oh, this is he's like the friar in his hermitage. Like he he's out in the woods studying whatever you call mm-hmm. that religion. Um, and then he is also apparently all knowing oh, only the present. Knowing. He knows all the present. More or less. So it's just this weird that thing. Like us. it's just another, it's another moment of weird, like stranger danger from CS Lewis where it's like, bruh, like given these kids who are reading this, some like some bad, bad vibes. Right. Like, you need to be careful with strangers. Luckily, like it always does in Narnia, this one works out unless you're Edmund meeting the White Witch. Meeting strangers generally is fine. Um, like, hopefully he'll get better by this at this by the end of the series. But they, uh, so they go into this random strangers, uh, and it turns out it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. There's a little garden. There's a pool that's perfectly still. Uh, there's perfectly round garden, as we all keep. Yes, uh, there's a the the hugest and most beautiful tree that Shasta had ever seen. Why it's there doesn't matter. We're not going to figure out. Uh, and then uh, it's just chilling there. Uh, what's Could up? this and I'm I have no reason to say or believe this other than wanting it to be true. Could this be the garden from the uh, magician's nephew? I guess it could be, but that says it's in Narnia, and this is in Argentland. I mean, Diggory has to fly a really long time. That's true. Uh, Sweet little fledge. Uh, But um, Strawberry, come on. It could be. I guess it's still plausible. We still don't really know what Narnia is and what it isn't. Uh, Yeah, Narnia is all none. It's yeah. yeah. Mm, yes. As long as you did good deeds, it's Narnia. Uh, <laughs> whatever you did for Fledge, you did for Catslam. <laughs> exactly. It's geography isn't questionable. But so it's they both make like he works really hard at it, but also it's never clear. Never clear. Uh they uh, so they make their way through and uh, Shasta looks at this raggedy old man, which like, this is kind of like the reverse of like judging a book by its cover. Uh, he goes, are you the king of arch and land permit chilling in this like cave? And like, I have to imagine that the hermit, the old man also is like avoiding laughing to himself. Uh, and he goes, no, I am the hermit of the Southern March. We mentioned this earlier, Chase. What's the Southern March? What does this mean? 
it's the direction you march if you want to get to Kellerman, Cal. Come on. I guess. Every compass point needs a hermit. You don't keep a friend stationed a mile directly south of your house and a mile directly north and west and east of your house just in case any runners come. See, but that would be like the south hermit or the north hermit. This is the hermit of the southern march, not marsh, which would be a like geographical area, like a a swamp. Would make a little bit more sense and is what accidentally typoed in our notes. It is the hermit of the southern march, which implies like an army or a group of people marching south. Maybe, maybe he moved there in the month of March. Mm. And he's just marking the time he moved there so that he remembers. As opposed to the northern month of March. What's that? As opposed to the northern month of March. Well, the northern month of Mar- month of March has been rebranded March Madness, so you mm. uh, you have to keep it's it because it's in the crazy uh, land of Narnia and the free. Uh, yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers just did a whole picture about that, so it's uh, yeah all the animals playing basketball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I've heard mixed reviews, but if you uh, like HBO commercials, it's great. Uh, I thought it was. I mean, it's. This is not a Space Jam pod, but all be. things considered, I've it's only what seen you the expect. First minutes of it, so it's what you expect from a Space Jam movie. It's not going to be great acting. It's it's I, fun. I was pretty disappointed by how much of a blatant Warner Brothers commercial it was. And, oh, it's uh, yeah, it was pretty rough on that front, and also Don Cheadle got done dirty. Because every other celebrity is recognizable except for him, apparently. Indeed, of course. Um, and but you know, whatever. This is not a space jam pod. But all that to say, so he asks, "Are you the king of Archenland?" Uh, and he goes, "No, I'm the hermit of the Southern March." And he says, "No time to waste on question. This damsel is wounded. Your horses are spent. Rabadash is still trying to find his way over the river, which they were doing like." 30 minutes ago, but whatever. That's why they slowed down running. They saw that he couldn't swim. <laughs> All this to say, Rabidash can't swim. It's embarrassing. What a bad look for him. Well, uh, you know, water Pokemon are strong against fire Pokemon. So That's true, and Rabidash is a fire horse. So that makes sense. As was uh, when he cast Sandstorm in Flamethrower mm. earlier. But, so, he, he goes, if you run now without a moment's rest, you will still be in time to warn King Loon. And Shasta's like, are you freaking kidding me? He is tired of running. He is exhausted. He's like, this sucks. And C.S. Lewis goes, he had not yet learned that if you do one good deed, your reward usually is to be set to do another and harder and better one. <laughs> it's What a cynical so- thing to say. It's so unfortunately true. It is really funnily true, but it's... There's a saying in... uh, Well, there's just a saying in general. If you want something done, ask a busy person to do it because then you know it'll actually get done. Because if you ask someone with nothing on their plate, it's it's actually not going to happen. It's a... Man... It's just such a cynical view, but it's it's funny because it is true. It's like this is the no good deed goes unpunished kind of thing where it's like, yeah. congrats, you've earned yourself more work. Like what's your what's your reward in your job for doing well at your job? Getting more work. Like, Yeah. I mean, we can only hope. I get paid by my work. Yeah. But Shots is not getting paid for this unless you count becoming a prince. But it's that's not for another couple chapters. Sure. Uh, spoiler alert on that one. Oh, yeah, spoiler uh, alert. I whatever. feel like we've talked about that enough times at this point where, where we know it's coming. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we've seen uh, this but, already. Yeah. So, you know, in the midst of his disheartenment, uh, you know, Shasta goes, okay, where's the king? And the hermit goes, all right, look, go that way through the gate. Always go straight. Run straight ahead. No matter what kind of terrain you face, run straight. I know by my art that you will find King Loon straight ahead, but run, run, always run. Uh, so a few things. First of all, love this, love this, uh, you know, little cadence, this motivation. Like, yeah, just you just got to keep moving, keep moving forward. I like that. That's cool. I'm a, for, I'm a fan of that. A lot of questions about how 
the hermit knows this. Uh, what is his art? Is he a magician? Uh, is he? Uh, he's a magician's nephew. So this is Diggory. Diggory, he pops into Narnia every now and then to just give some advice. Maybe this is the, the garden cave. Maybe that pool is the 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 world between or the from the wood between the worlds. Yes. No. No. It's like the episode of Futurama where they put their universe in a box. He has the pool inside the pool. This is, I'm man. I'm glad you mentioned this theory earlier because I'm for this. I now fullheartedly believe this is Diggory, and that the like that pool is how he like gets between. That's where he just dumps off in Narnia, and he's like, "Oh, I wonder what's going to be here." Ooh. A lion, I bet that's Aslan. Oh, he's chasing some kids. I'm sure he has good reason. Our Narnia theories are so much more fun than C.S. Lewis's. Uh, <laughs> the I'm, I'm, pretty of sure, I'm pretty sure he is supposed to be a prophet metaphor. And I'm pretty sure he can see what's happening in the pool. I think that comes sure. up later. It's been a couple years since I read this book. Uh, again, why I thought this guy was Aslan at one point might, might still be not totally unconvinced, but it's, uh, yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he can see what he needs to see in the pool to tell him what's happening. And maybe it's, uh, I am going to stick with my theory though. I mean, I your theory. much prefer that theory. I think it's more fun. I think it's so more spinoff material and. Warner Brothers needs to jump on this immediately and add it to yep. their Space Jam universe. This could have been in Space Jam, but it wasn't. So get on it. Space Jam 3. Uh, Space Jam 3, The Rise of Narnia. Um, so uh, after he says this, Shasta takes off. And he just leaves Erebus and the horses with this random old man who could be sending him to his death. We don't know. Luckily, he's not. The but he could be. Tash. What? The bird lion, uh, dragon creature, bird cockroach monster. Yes, it was him all along. Uh, so he runs, leaves everyone behind, leaves the girl, leaves the girl who was just clawed up by a lion behind, uh, and her his horses that can't run. Luckily, this dude's a good dude. Uh, so he, uh, you know, takes Erevis and leads her, you know, into you know deeper into his house and. It says after a long time he came out again. Uh, whatever. Uh, but luckily he's taking care of her. He's healing her. But it's just like, this is, come on, C.S. Lewis. Stranger danger here. Like, this is not yeah. good. I, I had plenty of follow-up questions with this because the fact that she just wakes up on a bed with, like, her body wrapped up, it made me uncomfortable. Indeed. To- to read that section and be like, oh, there, there were things that happened before this. Not, not bad things necessarily, but like stranger danger indeed. Not yeah. This is you got to be more careful with like the com- the message you're communicating. Uh, yeah. Don't walk into old men's gardens unless you have your parents with you, kids. Yes, agreed. Um, just you know. Be careful. Go to, go to your local botanical garden. It's actually a good time. Yeah. That's my message today. Yeah. But so he, luckily he goes and takes care of Erebus and, you know, drops her off as she's healing and napping. And then he goes to the horses and takes off their bridles, their saddles, grooms them. Uh, it's really nice. Gets them some water, some grass. Uh, and he's going to make them some hot mash with goat's milk. It's really yeah. nice. He, he should be a professional groomer because it says that he does a better job than any king's palace. Indeed. Which uh, yeah, I feel like has to just be relative to their tiredness, not actually sure. true, but... Who knows, man? Who knows? Maybe uh, he, he is a, a professional a, groomer he, before he became a hermit. Who knows? Yeah. We don't before know anything about him. He had magic sight powers. We don't know anything about the hermit, and neither does the wiki. So... That's where that's how we're going with this. Uh, but uh, Quinn, who who is becoming more and more my favorite character, uh, yeah. goes, 
will the Tarkina live? Has the lion killed her? She's the one that's actually concerned. Uh, and the hermit basically is like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like, I don't know. I don't know that. But in terms of her injuries, yeah, she's fine. It's like, dude, why, Look, why would you? I can't like, say that she won't die next week from some other random thing that happens. I don't hit by a boulder. I don't know. But, you know, in terms of the lion claws, yeah, she's fine. No one cares about, the, like, next week. <laughs> We're not asking about. She she asked specifically about what the lion did. This is like, do you ever watch Arrested Development, Chase? Uh, it's been a few years, but yeah. So this is like uh, whenever they go to the doctor who always like misleads them with information. And they're like, like Buster gets attacked uh, by a, a loose seal. Um, and he, he gets his like hand bitten off and they're like, all right, how is he? And they're like, he's all right. And they're like, oh, thank God. And he goes, That's a weird response to him only having one hand. And they're like, what? You said he was all right. And he goes, yeah, he lost his left hand. He's all right now. <laughs> it's like. This is, why would you, you know exactly what they're asking. Like, like just answer if, you know, if Erevis is okay. And 30 Rock does a lot of the same things. Yeah, but, it's a whole thing. Uh, but uh, she is going to be okay, thank goodness. And when Erevis comes to, uh, you know, she's like, wow, this is, like, I, I can't move because my back is really in pain. Um and she remembers why, uh, but she is uh, on the most delightfully springy bed that she's ever been on uh, because it was made of Heather, which is the best bedding, according to C.S. Lewis. Uh, and Heather was a thing so. she never heard of. He Heather sheets. I mean, I, I get, get your thread count up, C.S. Lewis. Come on. Yeah, it's fine for the time, I guess. Maybe, you know, it's, well, it's great. Okay. But it's soft, but it gets a little bit warm. It's another little C.S. Lewis aside, just telling people how much he knows about stuff. Um, it's like, hey, did you know that this kind of grass is soft? Yes. But so she's chilling and the hermit comes in. She goes, how do you find myself? How do you find yourself, my daughter? Uh, weird thing again. But, you know, it is what it is. She goes, my back is very sore father. Like she immediately takes into this nomenclature. Uh, but he, she goes, but there's nothing else wrong. Um, there's no fever. Uh, you're not going to die. Um, drink this goat milk and you should be fine. Apparently goat milk's got some healing properties. Who knew? Uh, so, but it also does not taste very good the first time you drink it. If it's you're just a shocking taste. Yeah. Different. Which, um, I mean, probably fair. Never had goat milk. Don't really plan to. Um, imagine it gave you like... off of dairy at this point, but... Yeah, it is what it is. But has she the, tried almond milk? What about a what about oat milk, not goat milk? Well, uh, but oat milk has a lot of sugar, so you got to be careful with how much of that you drink, Cal. Who knows, man? But uh, the hermit says, "Hey, now your wounds are washed and dressed, uh, and you know though they hurt a little bit, they're not they're not more serious than if they had been the cuts of a whip. It must have been a very strange lion for instead of catching you out of the saddle." And getting his teeth into you, he only draws his claws across your back. Ten scratches, sore, but not deep or dangerous. We will get into this more in a few chapters. But this is very specific. This is very intentional, it seems. Um, and it's very, it's it's a weird move by Aslan. We will talk about this. Yeah, like, it's like hmm, this was a strange alliance. It's almost like it was trying to teach you a lesson, but with its flaws. Mm. By chance, did you happen to do anything deserving of teaching a lesson? We'll talk about that later. Who knows? Have um, you gotten anyone else 10 whips lately? Because that is Who knows? Could be. It, there's a could be left on your back that said, I owe you 10 lashes. 10 lashes. But Erebus says, boy, have I had luck. And the hermit says, takes his sunglasses off, and he goes, I don't believe in luck. And then uh, he goes, uh, there is some, like, he he just, you know, he, he's lived 109 winters, so apparently he's 109 years old, uh, and he does not believe in luck. Uh, it's all providence. It's all intentional. Um, but he goes, there is something about all this that I do not understand, but if we, ever we need to know it, you may be sure that we shall. So if we're going to know something, We'll know it, but if we won't, then we won't. Thanks to this wisdom, Hermit. 
there's only two possibilities. Either we will know or we will not. And then Erebus is like, wow, this guy's deep. Uh, so cool. But they, so she's been sleeping at this point. And she goes, what about the horses in the army? They go, they must have found a ford by now, well to the east of us. Why couldn't they have crossed where they did? I don't, I don't understand this. Uh, I mean, but, it's probably difficult to find a ford, right? Like, I guess, but I mean, if you can find if, a shallow spot. If two horses were able to cross at some point, 200 could, you know, at least go in the same line. Like, I mean, if they had to go two by two, they'd have to build a whole arc. Like, that takes time. I don't know if you know how crossing a shallow river works. A boat is not needed. It's unnecessary. The two by two only works if you have different animals than horses. If they had pigs and cows, maybe they would have needed a boat. But it's just two, horses. Two lions, two giraffes. Well, there's only been one. everything. Uh, but we'll talk about that. So um, he, she asks about Shasta and like how he is he going to be able to make it, and the guy goes, "There's good hope of it. Like he knows he knows that he's going to make it to King Loon, uh, but it is what." See it is. him now. He's lost in the woods, but it's fine. Yeah, uh, and then they have this conversation about the weather, how it's going to get a little foggy because you know this is a British novel. He's got to talk about how the weather isn't always great, so that the people in Britain uh, can like rel- can they can relate to the story. Um, At least we get good foreshadowing for next chapter. Indeed. Uh, ooh, it's crazy. The fog is coming in. I wonder if that's going to affect Shasta on his journey. Probably not. Uh, but Quinn uh, at once trots over to see Erebus, gives her a nice horse kiss, um, which is sweet. Uh, and then they find out that something's wrong with Bree. Uh, the excitement that he had. It's gone. He's now going into his angsty teenage phase. He's current. He's combed his little horse mane in front of his head, and he goes, "You don't understand me, Erebus. This isn't a phase." Uh, this is a and, great episode of BoJack Horseman. <laughs> it more or less is. Um, but she she's trying to talk to Bree Erebus is, and she's like, "How are you? What's going on?" She says the hermit says that Shasta is going to be uh, be able to make it to King Loon. So it looks like we we. You know, our troubles are over. We're we're good to Narnia at last. And Brie goes, I'll never see Narnia. She's like, well, aren't you well? And he goes, I'm going to go back to Callerman. And then Eris is like, what, as like a slave? She's like, yes, slavery is all I'm fit for. How can I ever show my face among the free horses of Narnia? And basically what he goes on to describe is he's really ashamed of himself for letting like he he's like i who left a mare and a girl and a boy to be eaten by lions while i galloped all i could to save my own wretched skin so earlier this chapter c.s lewis said he couldn't hear yeah or didn't understand but yeah, now just thinking it's like we made a point to give him plausible deniability just to take it away later in the same chapter it's weird because he immediately goes no i did hear did understand ran Saved my own skin. I'm a coward. Uh, and like Quinn is like, we all ran as hard as we could, trying to like justify it. And Bree's like, Shasta didn't. He ran in the right direction, back towards you. He's trying to save y'all. And that's what shames me the most. Like, I'm supposed to be this war horse who's boasted of a hundred fights to be beaten by a little human boy, a child, a mere foal who had never held a sword, nor had any good nurture or example in his life. Uh, and what then I Aaron, from that is. If Shasta hadn't jumped off, he wouldn't feel bad. That's Correct. what I took away from that sentence. He, it's, but he was bested by a guy he thinks that he's better than. And then Erevis feels the same. She goes, I felt just the same. Shasta was marvelous. I'm just as bad as you, Bree. I've been snubbing him and looking down on him ever since you met us. Uh, and now he turns out to be the best of us all. But I think it would be better to stay and say we're sorry than to go back to Callerman. First of all, Quinn is not getting enough love here. She's doing her darndest. She is trying. So how about you back she off? Has come into her own. She's found her voice. It's she's doing great. So but, give Quinn some love. Here. Yeah. What uh, I really hate about both both Bree and Erebus's sentiments here is the implication that. Shasta, they only feel bad because it turns out Shasta's all right. 
not because they realized there was anything internally wrong with what they were doing in the first place. Correct. Like it implies that someone is only worth being treated as valuable if they prove their worth, not because of something inherent to themselves. If Shasta hadn't been heroic in this moment, one, would Bree have felt bad about uh, Erevis and Huynh being potentially mauled by a lion? And then two, would Erevis have felt bad about being a jerk to Shasta? Like, it, like that, you know, that doesn't track. Like, you're, like, I'm glad that they're having these, like, heel turn moments where they're, they're starting to realize, like, oh, maybe I was wrong. But also, like, it's conditional. Yeah, I feel like C.S. Lewis thinks he's doing something here that he's not. Maybe C.S. Lewis needs to go and study the Enneagram a little bit and learn mm-hmm. that everybody has to have value internally, not just... It, uh, or The Enneagram, or, you know, Genesis chapter one. Uh, <laughs> we don't read that book here, Cal. Pretty sure we do. We've referenced it quite a lot. And so oh, Cal, don't Lewis. you know anything done for Tash is also done for Aslan. <laughs> for, for Jesus Cat. Uh, I gotcha. Yeah, my B. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just a weird thing. It's a weird sense of morality. Like I'm like I said, I'm glad that they're having these moments where they're turning, but I wish it would have been phrased more as like I've realized like that I shouldn't be treating people at all like this. Uh, I wish like maybe I need to be more brave in general and like they're like I'm not as great as I think I was, which is basically what you know, the hermit is about to tell Bree. Um, yeah. Which shout out to the hermit for giving some actual direction to the energy they have here. Because yeah. even if Bree and Erevis haven't fully realized what is going on here and what lessons they're supposed to be learning, the hermit seems to clearly know what lessons they're supposed to be learning. And his coming up, because Bree basically expresses this sense of loss, right? He looks to Erebus and says, well, you didn't disgrace yourself. So it's easier for you because you didn't lose anything in the process. No one's going to look down on you because of what you did. They can't see that. And, but Bree feels this sense of great loss because like, well, now I can't show my face because I have shamed myself. Yeah. And the hermit comes up and says, Bree has lost nothing but his own self-conceit, which is a great line. It is a real and, Yeah. And also a line that I wish that I could pull on many a person. If he really is as humbled as he says he is, then he should listen instead of yeah. shaking his head. Um, which, yeah, there are many moments that I wish that <laughs> I had those words. Um, but yeah, basically the hermit comes out and says, hey, like, you haven't actually lost anything. What what you think has shattered here was never real. It was always fake the whole time. You never were truly better than anyone. You just thought you were because you were smarter than the non-Narnian horses. And like, sure, you could talk. But now that you actually see yourself clearly, now that you have a less dirty mirror to view yourself with, like you see that you're nobody very special And that's actually the thing that's going to make you a good person rather than what you thought you earned for yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not about whether or not you think you're great. It's about actually being good to other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a really, I really like this whole like little monologue from the hermit because I think it addresses pride in a way that is really unknown and you like people don't, talk about a lot where it's it's the the part of pride where generally when people think about it's like oh i'm better than you but even like pride sneaks in even to breeze wallowing and his his self-pity because he's making this situation about himself he's making like it's like yes did brie like should brie have turned around yes he should have he made a mistake but ultimately like if he never looks outside of his own self in this situation, that's also pride. He's like, "Hey, you say you feel bad. You should feel bad, right? You sh- this should be a recognition that you're not as good as you thought you were. 
But also, if you're humble, that means you should listen. Like if you make a mistake, the proper you know thing to do isn't to just wallow and forever be like, I've made a mistake. I'm the worst person. Send me away. I hate myself. I'm terrible. It's to say, man, okay, I am not as good as I thought I was. I made a mistake. How do I improve? How do I make this better? How do I move forward? How do I, you know, and in this situation, the answer is you need to surround, like you need to have a proper recognition of your status amongst other people and recognize your flaws, recognize that you are one of like many, that that you are not better than anyone, that you are equal with everyone and you should, you need to live in such a way. Like you're upset because you're not this great war horse that you thought you were. Like you're just brief, but it's like everyone is just themselves, right? That's, that's how it goes. And so his wallowing is its own like part of pride uh, because he's not looking and going, Hey, like, how do I grow from this? How do I recognize that I am actually just as good as everyone else? We are all the same. I'm not better nor like, you know, like, does my fall from grace make me worse than anyone else? Um, so I, I think that's just a really fun, really cool um, little talk on the the parts of pride that are kind of different. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. It's he he highlights that Bree is not seeing the real problem. The problem mm-hmm. is not that he did something wrong. The problem is that he had an incorrect view of himself. Yeah. And so what's what is breaking down is actually what needed to break down the whole time. Yeah. It's uh it's very don't look at the fruit, look at the root. Like yeah. don't look at what you think is the problem, look at the things that are leading to that. It's just a symptom of something deeper. Yeah. I like it a lot. Well, Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I could really use some mash, but some well, don't worry, because soon we'll have some you know really hot mash uh, made from some good goat's milk. But until then, uh, I'll I'll start us off with some further up and further in. Um, we've mentioned you know the Samuel prophet esque character in uh, in the hermit throughout this chapter several times, uh, and that's more or less the trope that I want to go with in my you know in my further up and further in, it's not quite like if you, if you've ever you know heard about the hero's journey, the hero cycle, uh, whatever you want to call that. Um, there's this idea of like the, like the meeting of the, of the mentor, the, the old sage, uh, you know, wise mentor that you come upon that gives you wisdom and advice. This is kind of that just, but also mixed with a, it's, it's not quite the Obi-Wan and Luke situation where he's going to train him and he's going to like teach him how to do things. It's kind of like this, but it's, it's also a situation where he's just providing some instruction. He's providing some relief, some like healing, some, he's giving every person exactly what they need. So it's, he's not the, like, I'm going to go on this journey with you, but he's going to give the people he's going to give Shasta, Erebus, Bree, and Quinn, all that they really need. Uh, And this is, you're going to see a similar trope to this in a lot of stories. So this is Samuel in the desert. You know, he's the crazy old guy, but he's the one that provides the, you know, people of Israel with what they need. Um, This is John the Baptist. This is, uh, you know, Yoda in Dagobah. This is, uh, you know, meeting Brom in the inheritance cycle. This is the meeting of the, of the character who is going to give you the little bits of wisdom, the, the healing, the, the truth. This is, uh, if you've ever watched the princess bride, I would liken this to meeting, uh, miracle max and his wife, who's not a witch. She's not a witch. Uh, she's his wife. Um, and they're like, they don't, they don't stick with them. They don't help them out through the journey. Uh, you know, but they what they do is they give a they give a miracle pill to uh, to Wesley so that he can be healed, uh, you know, that he can you know do the things he needs to do. And then they send them on their way. Uh, they don't really they don't come with them, but it's the little moment of of rest and relief uh, and respite provided by this mentor character. Uh, and so it's like, hey, come in here like the mentor is going to give you what you need and, you know, send you on your way. Awesome. My further up and further in uh, is on just the idea of uh, how this communicates the theme of Sabbath rest in kind of a larger allegory that 
C.S. Lewis's painting here. So if you've been tracking with the little breadcrumbs that we've done along the last several chapters, uh, part of the subtext of the story is the story of the people of Israel. And as we know, C.S. Lewis is a Christian person who's writing these books and he's bringing in Christian allegory into the way he's doing this. And uh, anytime you're reading a people escaping from slavery, crossing a desert, and then finally getting across a river into a land of plenty, uh, I feel like it's fair to say that there's some uh, some biblical allegory for the people of Israel happening there. Um, and just the fact that they come into this place where someone's basically whole goal for three-fourths of them is to give them rest really brought up this idea of Sabbath rest, which Sabbath in the Hebrew mindset is this idea of peace and wholeness. It's it's the rest of God. It's the idea that God is providing everything, establishing everything, maintaining everything. And so his people can stop and trust and, and be restored. And so they get to this place where they're given food and sleep and wisdom and, and really brought to wholeness, even to the point of, of being restored in their relationships to one another and having conversations about finding their true selves and, and being restored on that point. Because in the biblical mindset, real rest, like Sabbath rest, is restorative. It's not just a physical aspect. It is a emotional and social and like long-term wide-reaching aspect uh, because it's more about wide-reaching peace rather than just how you individually feel whether or not you got a good night's sleep um, or whether or not you went to work today which is how we typically talk about the idea of sabbath but it's interesting to see kind of this moment come for Quinn and Bree and Erebus at the end of this journey where they get to finally kind of let their shoulders down, just take a deep breath and say, okay, we can reset. Of course, Shasta gets to keep on running and we'll see that his, uh, his journey is not over next chapter. But, but yeah, it, it was interesting to kind of see this theme continue as uh, as C.S. Lewis builds this larger allegory into his uh, fuller story. Jace, we have made our way out of the desert, out of the, the valley. We've uh, traveled through the, the garden of the pool of the Hermit of the Southern March. And there's only one thing left for us to do, and that's to keep moving forward, always forward, to run Run, 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 always run. And Chase, as you're moving forward and running, can you tell our audience where they can find uh, more of our podcast and how they can help us out? If you need something to help you run away, uh, you can listen to our podcast while you run. Just put in some earphones. Uh, Love to do it. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, really wherever you feel like getting podcasts. Uh, we're probably there. And while you're there, if you want to lead us Leave a rating and review, five stars, please. That helps other people to find us and uh, jump on board this journey uh, as we still have several books to go. And yeah, we would also love if you follow us on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcast, where we let you know when we post new episodes and you are free to interact with us, engage with us. Let us know if you have any thoughts, questions, uh, jokes, it's really just the kind of center point for our little community of C.S. Lewis people. And yeah, we uh, will keep running as well. The only thing left to do is go enjoy some really good hot goat milk mash. Mm, but until yeah. then, we'll see you next time. Hermit of the Southern Marsh. March, not March. Oh, it is the Southern March. That's weird. Yeah, it kept throwing me off. I kept waiting to like find out it was a typo. And it's not clear why it's the Southern March. But... I, that's super weird. Now, okay, so he's just a hermit. Just a dude?
Just okay. a dude. I could have sworn he was also Aslan. Not according to the wiki. Is he, uh, does he just have Univision? He can see everything? Don't know. Doesn't explain it. I mean, he's got some weird cryptic things about not being able to see the future, but being able to see all that is present. <laughs> sure, yeah, you know, it, it, he's a weird dude. Um, uh, he's Heimdall weird. from Thor. Yeah, more or less, but Heimdall also has his own issues. Yeah, Great reference, Heimdall we can talk about that. has been watching Natalie Portman for a long time. But also doesn't see when they get attacked like eight times. Oh yeah, he's too busy looking at Natalie Portman. It's... Um, he can he can see everything. He only chooses to look at one day at a time. 